Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us this afternoon, this Tuesday afternoon. Um, we have an interesting program that we're going to be talking about this morning or this afternoon uh, based on a question that came in. We'll review that in a minute. Uh, but if you're coming in on the, uh, let's see, actually, we're going to be talking about, uh, just give you a heads up before I bring in the panelists, we're going to be talking about why, why does the King James Version say Easter for that word that's in that, uh, the Greek word that's in Acts, I think, I forget what it is. Stephen, where is that? In Acts what? Acts 12.4. That, I, I was going to think 20. It's Acts 12.4. So we're going to look at that. Why does that, why is the word Easter in there? Um, compared to other uses of that word. But before we do that, and if you're coming in on the Zoom app, please feel free to use your Q&A or the chat window. Just click on the box that says chat and enter in your comments, questions that you have. We'll address them during the program. And uh, are we uh, coming in on your Facebook page today, Stephen? Uh, no, we're still on Scott's Facebook page today. Okay, so if you're coming in on the Facebook page, uh, under Scott's Facebook page, please use the comment box there. We're glad you're able to join us today and hope that uh, you'll uh, join us in the dialogue as we talk about the subject. So you already saw Stephen coming in. Stephen, good to see you. How you doing? Good to be here, Drew. Very Welcome, good. everybody. Yeah. And uh, Scott, our program director, is here with us as well, but I don't see Scott, so we'll just give him a second. I don't see. <laughs> Scott, are you there? Calling Scott. There he is. There we go. He lives. Oh, he's just playing high, hard to get. All right. So, uh, Scott, let me read that question, which um, I uh, had. Here it is here. That came in from Rose. It says, um, where is, where are we? Okay. Okay. The question's about um, the way the King James Version um, translate it. One verse that she's talking about is in Acts 12, verse 4, regarding the word Easter versus Passover. Now, I believe there's other passages uh, discussed as well that uses that word, but I thought this would be a good question for you guys to talk about. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Why is that say Easter? Go ahead, Scott. If I recall correctly, the question was in a conversation uh, with someone maybe over the belief that some people have that the King James is the only Bible that you use. Exactly. And, and let's just say up front here, the King James is a good translation. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can't find places where other versions have translated something better or more accurately. King James is a very good translation, and I think it's a lot better than uh, some of the translations out there. That doesn't mean that it is the only translation or that it is the best translation. Uh, but there are a lot of people that believe that. And we'll go over some of the reasons that some people believe the King James is the only and the best translation. Uh, and sometimes, it, well, let me open up and, and hear your thoughts on that before I start on that. Either of you have any comments on that so far? I'd be curious to see if anybody in the audience, if they would uh, text in, whether it's on the Facebook page or through the Zoom app, if uh, what translations they particularly use. That would be interesting. 
Yeah, I like to get a, uh, I should have thought of it earlier. We can put a poll up on, on this Zoom app. We can put a poll for people to just check the boxes, but I didn't do, I didn't prep that up. But if you have a, a translation that you use, let us know which one you're using. So we just have an idea of what yours. And again, it's not, one translation is the final word, no pun intended, on the word of God. It's just for translation. And you're going to go through that too a little bit. Um, Steve, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was just reading an article recently that was talking about the uh, most purchased Bibles per year and kind of like comparing 10 years ago to now. And it was interesting to me that the King James um, in 2011 and in 2020, for both times, can you all know what, what position on the charts the King James had in the top 10? It's not fair. I know the answer. I saw it. That's right. I guess it's so. So it was number two. Number two, both in 2011 and in 2020, the King James is still the second best-selling Bible translation um, out there right now. So it's fascinating to me how, uh, how common it is still for people to be buying and using the King James Version. What's like number one? I was curious. I forgot. Number NIV? NIV, yes, was uh, number one on, on both of those lists, 2011 and 2020. The NIV is number one, which in some ways is an inferior translation to the KGB. Uh, KGB? Oh, King James. Uh, let's point out something, too, just about translations in general before we go farther. Depending on what translation you use, there will be advantages or disadvantages with that particular translation. Um, and sometimes I try to give this comparison to help people realize why more than one translation is a good thing. Uh, whatever your ancestry is, whether it's from Italy or Germany or Poland or Czechoslovakia or France or whatever, if you come across a document in an old family chest in an attic somewhere written in a different language that gives the history of your family, tells, you know, who was a knight, where the castle was, if they were that, um, where the treasure is buried, you know, all, all kinds of interesting things. But you can't read it because it's in either Polish or German or French or, or something. Would you like to have it translated? Oh, yeah. Any one of those. Yeah. Um, so if you met somebody who knew that language and they translated it, would you want to stop there? And if later you met somebody that knew that language better or was more familiar with some of the unique words, would you like to have it translated again or would you like to stay my neighbor bud translated it and i'm done i don't want to read any other translator no i mean give me the updated translation i mean when you have multiple people looking at it you can only understand it on a more deep level there you go and so i'm going to give some of this will be opinion you may or, or, or may agree or disagree, but I'm going to give some summation just up front of what I think are strengths and weaknesses of several different translations, and then we'll get into this King James only view. Uh, what are some advantages of the King James? Well, it was if it was good enough for Paul, it's good enough for me, right? So, <laughs> is, that, is that what Paul used? Paul did, and, you know, that's probably, there's a joke there, but that's probably one of the reasons why we should realize that the King James Bible is not the only one that should be used because nobody could have used it before 1611. Right. Paul didn't use it. Peter didn't use it. 
Um, the, it's, and today, here's another point. If the King James Bible is the only one to be used, what about people who live in Botswana or China or, you know, other places? You mean those that don't speak English at all? Right. Now they'd have a problem then. Yeah, yeah. So I would say that King James has these advantages. One, it is familiar to a lot of people. If I, the Bible I usually use has the disadvantage that it's not. I like the American Standard of 1901. It's got two distinct disadvantages. One, it has the archaic language. Two, nobody else has one usually in a setting that I'm in. Yeah, it's out of print now, too. What's that? It's out of print now, too. It's hard yeah, to get. I said it's out of print, hard to find. So if I'm reading from that, the person I'm studying with, they're reading from the New American Standard, the ESV, the New King James, then I'd be something else. And so it's not matching word for word. If you're studying and reading with somebody out of King James and they have the King James, that simplifies it. So it's a common popular Bible. It's the second most popular Bible. So a lot of people have it. It's also beautifully written, uh, and it's actually quite a good translation. Um, what would be some advantages or disadvantages of some other translations, just to kind of get our thoughts flowing? Well, I mean, there are two basic philosophies of translation. Uh, one is a word-for-word -word translation. So you're trying to be very tight, very accurate to the words of the original language. But if you've ever worked with language before, even just translating from Spanish to English or back and forth, you realize that you can't always do exactly a word for word. Sometimes we express an idea in Spanish with one word and three words in English or vice versa. You, you can't literally do a word for word translation because the idea might be bigger. Um, then that's because that's kind of one philosophy is to get as close as you can to a word for word translation. And the other philosophy is a more of a thought for thought translation where you're trying to make it as smooth and understandable as possible in the language you're translating to. And so you substitute, you might switch the word order a little more. You might smooth out the thoughts to get it as easy to read, easy to understand in the language that you're coming to. Advantages to that are it's easier to read. It's just smoother in the language. Disadvantages, sometimes you lose some accuracy with that. And that's especially true for like close study. And so understanding different Bible translations can help us a lot in knowing what translations to use for what purposes. Yes. If you're just wanting a daily reading Bible, that's just, you're, you're not trying to do close study. You're just reading through, getting the gist of a book. Some of these thought for thought translations are really useful for that. If you're trying to do a deep, careful study from the Word of God on a particular topic or a sensitive subject, you really want more of a word-for-word -word translation. And what you really want is multiple translations so that you can compare and contrast what the translations are saying. And we're blessed in English to have so many good translations that we can use to compare. Yes, we are. True. Where, where does the, the King James fall into that, either one of those categories, Scott? It is more word-for-word. Uh, it's not exactly so, but it's, it is more accurate uh, as far as this translation usually than the NIV, I think. The NIV is a little bit more getting the idea across. Uh, the NIV also occasionally, this is more serious, will have some Calvinism inserted to it occasionally. Uh, but the NIV excels at being readable. 
So if you're studying with somebody who has a, say, a sixth grade education, or is not able to read very well, and you're reading to them 1611 archaic English that may sound poetic and beautiful, but they're, they're not understanding it. The NIV is much more readable. Now, here's an example of things. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I'm a little bit above a sixth grade education, and I have a hard time with the King James. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's just not as readable as it was in 1611. And that's one of, of the challenges of it. Uh, one thing that NIV will do, for example, let's suppose... Jesus is mentioned up here in the text, and then you have some pronouns, and he said this, and he said this, and it says he said, but maybe it's not perfectly clear to a casual reader, wait, who said that? The NIV might put Jesus said. And if you go back and look at the Greek, it didn't say Jesus there, it said he. Well, but it was Jesus. But the NIV will take liberties like that that the American standard, which I use, will not. But the American Standard is one of the least easy as far as readability mm -hmm. goes. And so the American Standard is strict. It, it used to be called translator's translation. It's one of the most strict translations, but one of the least easily comprehensible and, and, and readable. If you're used to it, it's not that bad, but it's just not as easy as, say, the NIV or one that I really like, the ESV. Yeah, so I, I started off with the American Standard, but then I was realizing that the language was giving me hard time. So I went and bought, uh, this goes many years ago, the New American Standard. So the New American Standard is in that category of the uh, American Standard, and they just modernized the, the language? Is that what you're saying? It, it, they, they use the same kind of manuscript point of view as the American Standard. They updated the language. The New American Standard is a very good translation. My chief problems with the American Standard, New American Standard, is that sometimes where, say, Paul will use the word here and here, and it looks problematic to them, they'll change it to a different word, whereas actually you can understand it better if you realize, no, that word is that word, and it makes you do it. Uh, they also really missed the passage in Exodus as to do with abortion in the original New American Standard. They got that fixed later. But, but, you're, but, you're, but, but what you're talking about is not what you started to until, until one of us got you off the track. You were saying that translations were coming out when there was more information about the ancient texts that now these translations are being, in, uh, I won't say invented, but being produced based on more information. Is that what you, you were yeah, talking about? Yes, that, that's part of it. Uh, but before we go further, what I'd like to introduce is some a problem that some translators had one time uh, some years ago. They were coming out with a new version, and people didn't like that they were coming out with a new version. People were critical of it. They were attacking it. They were saying, why do we need a new version? You know, we've already got the Word of God. Why are you doing this? And we don't like change to begin with. Right. And so these translators put a, an introduction uh, in this Bible explaining their viewpoint of why they thought it was good to produce something that was new, even though it was still the Bible, but this new provision. Uh, and they were justifying it and explaining it, even though a lot of people were being critical. Now, 
uh, guess which Bible that was. So it's got an introduction in the beginning, answering all the critics because people are upset that this new Bible is coming along. I'll give you a hint. It's not the ESV, it's not the New American Standard, not the RSV, it's not the... Uh, not the NIV? What is it, guys? The King James Version. Yes, which back then wasn't called the King James Version. What was it called back then? The authorized version, right? Yes, yes, which I think contributed to the, oh, it's the authorized version, but it didn't mean it's the, that God said, that's the authorized version. <laughs> the King of England said, that's it. And because the King of England at the time was King James, uh, it's now called the King James. So let's take a look at some notes from this. Um, Introduction. So this is a new Bible is uh, about to be printed or is printed. And the translator's notes have at the beginning a response to critics who don't want a new version. Okay. It begins with this. This is if, if you ever see a real 1611 Bible in a museum or something, if you had access to it, you could flip back to the beginning. This is what it would say. The translators to the reader. Zeal to promote the common good, whether it be by devising anything ourselves or revising that which has been labored by others, deserveth certainly much respect and esteem, but yet findeth but cold entertainment in the world. It is welcomed with suspicion. And one of the first things we'll note here what do you note about the language that this is written in? I don't understand it. <laughs> it's got some different spelling and... Uh, the grammar doesn't help me, different words. It sounds like the King James Version. It does. This is the way people talked back then. You know, uh, if I asked Stephen if he, you know, if he had a Kit Kat bar, I might say, dost thou have a Kit Kat bar? <laughs> I would say... That Kit Kat bar. And you'd probably spell bar as B-A-R-R-E. I don't know how they would say, give me a break, but I would, giveth thou me a break. And it was probably, I wouldn't be surprised if it was more formal than stated on the street, but this is not the biblical text here. This is just the notes to the reader. That's the way people spoke. So let's read it again. Zeal to promote the common good. And that's what they're trying to do whether it be devising anything ourselves or revising that labored by others, because there were already a number of English Bibles available. There was, there was a Coverdale Bible, Matthew's Bible, Tyndale's Bible, Bishop's Bible, Great Bible, and they're revising some of that. And it deserves respect and esteem. But how does the world receive it? Coldly and with suspicion. Hmm. How men, and then here's the point that we do need translation. It's going to quote from 1 Corinthians 14. How shall men meditate in that which they cannot understand? How say, they, how say they understand that which is kept close in an unknown tongue? As it is written, except I know the power of the voice, I shall be to him that speaks a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian to me. Impossible accepteth no tongue, not Hebrew the ancientest, nor Greek the most copious, nor Latin the finest. Nature taught an ordinal man to confess that all those tongues is all that all of us in those tongues which we do not understand are plainly deaf. So, for example, if Stephen starts speaking Greek to you and I, and we don't know Greek, we're going to be lost. <laughs> if we were to start speaking Hebrew, and Stephen and I don't know Hebrew, 
And if I were to say, uh, oh, I was going to say it, but it's been too many years. I was going to speak some Czech. Uh, and you wouldn't have known what it meant. Uh, but it means step away from the subway doors are about to close. Because I heard that over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> uh, so we need it translated. Um, so, and that's what a translation is. Uh, and then there's a section, the speeches and reasons both of our brethren and of our adversaries against this work. So there were a lot of people that didn't like them doing the King James Bible. Many men's mouths have been open a good while and are not yet and are yet are not stopped. They've been complaining and they still are with speeches about the translation so long in hand or rather perusal translation and ask what may be the reason, what the necessity of the employment. Have the church been deceived, say they, all this while? In other words, somebody paraphrase this. In other words, uh, we've had it before without this new translation. You mean everything we had in the past, we've been misled? Right, right. And was their translation good before? Why did they now mend it? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. <laughs> An answer to the imputations of our adversaries. To the latter, we answered that we do not deny, nay, we affirm and avow that the very meanest translation of the Bible in English set forth by men of our profession for we have seen none of theirs in the whole Bible yet, contains the word of God, nay, is the word of God. As the king's speech, which he uttered in Parliament, being translated into French, Dutch, Italian, and Latin, is still the king's speech, though it be not interpreted by every translator with the like grace, nor peradventure so fitly for phrase, nor so expressly for sense everywhere. So, what if you translate that, please? So the king gives a speech in Parliament, and then it gets translated into French, Dutch, Italian, and Latin. And you might have several translators translating some of that. Say two people translated into French. Are they all going to pick the same French word? No, probably not. If the king's speech mentions, you know, I remember as a child, you know, and stepping over the, uh, and throwing rocks into the, and he uses a word, you know, for a small flowing body of water. You mean so like a river? Five feet wide. Probably what you- A brook, a brook. Stephen, how often do you use the word brook? Not a whole lot. I might say stream. Yeah. Somebody else might say creek. You know, somebody- Someone else, else might say creek. <laughs> That's right. And so your translators are gonna have some differences it doesn't make one right or the other one wrong. Oh, you say it was translated from French. Oh, you put stream and it should have been brook. Well, those words mean basically the same thing. And, but maybe one is slightly better or sounds better or something. But it's still the king's speech. Then it gives an illustration right after that. This is like two sentences later. But so we're still we're still in the introduction of the King James Version. Some people just came in, and I want to make sure that's what we're reading here. Oh, very good. Yeah, this is the the King James translators' note to the reader because they've been attacked for coming up with a new Bible. And here they point out they're not claiming that they have gotten every word perfect. They don't assume that they did. 
and they give an illustration here from a person's appearance. Uh, first character and then physical. A man may be counted a virtuous man, though he has made many slips in his life. Else there were none virtuous, for in many things we offend all. Also a comely man and lovely, in other words, a handsome guy, though he have some warts on his hand, yea, not only freckles on his face, but also scars. No cause, therefore, why the word translated should be denied to the world or forbidden to be denied, denied to be the word. Oh, thank you, thank you. Should be denied to be the word or forbidden to be current, notwithstanding that some imperfections and blemishes may be noted in the setting forth of They're saying we may have made a mistake here or there. One of the things they go into detail about is we don't always know the meaning of the Hebrew word. And one of the things they were criticized for was they would have marginal notes, like in the Old Testament. Was it owl or ostrich? And they'd put a little word, one word in the middle and another in the text saying it might be that. And people didn't like that because they said, you're making the word of God unsure. Well, they're translating the Hebrew and they're not sure what that Hebrew word meant. And they said, even the Hebrews today don't know what that word meant. Because they said, and this is in their thing, they said there were certain precious stones and kinds of animals you don't see that word show up very often. And so if you only see it a few times, you might not have enough detail to know what it was. So here, let's give an example. Let's suppose you're reading an ancient language and you come across the word gherkin. What's a what? gherkin? A what? Say that again. Gherkin? That sounds like a pickle. No, glurkin with an L. Glurkin. Oh, glurkin. <laughs> you say, well, let's read the context. You say, a glurkin flew by. I would Something think it's a bird. I would think it's a bird. What kind of bird? A flying bird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so sometimes they would, you know, take some educated guesses, but they knew they might have it wrong. So let's keep reading. The word translated should not be denied to be the word or forbidden to be current, notwithstanding that some imperfections and blemishes may be noted in the setting forth of it. For whatever was perfect under the sun where apostles or apostolic, apostolic men, that is men endued with an extraordinary measure of God's spirit and privileged with the privilege of infallibility, had not their hand. In other words, they're saying, if you're not an apostle or an apostle-like man, infallible, you can make a mistake. So did the King James translators view themselves as the end all were presenting the perfect, perfect translation, and no other translation can ever be better. No, not at all. It's not at all what they believe. Therefore, and this is after they give why sometimes they put an alternate translation in the margin, because they said, we're not sure which it is. And they said, as St. Augustine saith, variety of translations is profitable for the finding out the sense of the scriptures. So diversity of signification and sense in the margin, where the text is not so clear, must needs do good. Yea, is necessary, as we are persuaded. So if you look at their, their being attacked for bringing out a new Bible, and they make, I think, some excellent points. So, so people that say today and claim that the the King James Version is the only version we should be using. 
the very people who translated and in, brought it into the world, the, the King James Version, said the opposite. That's right. That this is not the only end all one you should be using. And, and they right. gave examples. And they gave, they go into some detail about the Septuagint. In the New Testament, very often when you're, the apostles are quoting the Old Testament, they're quoting the Septuagint, which was a Greek translation and not always the most perfect translation, but it's what people were used to. And they didn't say, oh, because it's not the Titus to the Hebrew there. They, they, they used it. And so, like we said before, I'm not crazy about the NIV, but I can very easily teach uh, from the NIV. If we ever get to 1 Corinthians 2, there's one passage in the NIV where I'm going to have to stop and point out they really blew it there. But most of the time, it's very, very good, even if it's not the best translation. And so this, this whole attitude that you can only have one translation, and this one translation is the single impossible for anything ever to be better than that translation, is exactly opposite of what those men were saying. And that would be true then for really any translation, not just the King James. We can't say this is the best one. This is one you should be using. It's just not. And I like what you said before with our English, with our technology today and, and online Bibles and also on our computers, you can have multiple, multiple translations and you can compare them and look at them. And so it should, we should not get locked in and say, this is the one. Again, it's a tremendous advantage in English that we have multiple translations to look at. You know, it was interesting. I've had one study with someone who said the King James is the only Bible that we should use. And one of the things I did in that situation was simply to ask him, okay, you have a King James version. I'm using the English standard version. It's one that's based on newer Greek manuscripts that have been made. Uh, well, not newer, Older. newer, newer Greeks, newer Greek texts that right. look at older manuscripts and i just said just show me show me where the text has been corrupted because if it has been corrupted at some point from the king james to these modern translations it'll show up in our english translations and he dodged and dodged and dodged and eventually showed me one passage that like scott illustrated earlier it was someplace i think it was in first timothy where the king james had christ and the esv had he referring to Christ in the context. And again, it, it, it's, if, the, if you hear these arguments that, oh, well, like more modern translations have been corrupted or things like that, I just don't think that holds up to scrutiny um, because when you really line up the Bible translations and look at them and say, there's not some big conspiracy to cover up what the text originally says. Um, what we have is a, you have good translations now. The King James is a good translation then and what we have is the word of God. And I liked the way that the King James introduction put it. I'm talking about, you know, like translating the King's speech. Some are better for, you know, the, the exact phrase and others are better for the sense, but it's still the King's speech. And uh, th that's a helpful analogy to talk about. We can trust our English Bibles, whether it's the King James Bible or a modern Bible. Um, we need to understand the advantages and disadvantages of the different philosophies of translation but we're really blessed to have such a good uh, selection of translations in English. I'll also say we had some comments come in earlier when uh, I think Drew, you asked what Bible translations people are using 
Um, yeah. Neil said the New King James. David said the ESV. Uh, Beto said the NASB or La Biblia de las Americas, which uh -huh. is the Spanish version of the New American Standard. Uh, I think we had another, I think Rod said the NIV. So again, it's just interesting if you just talk with different people now, um, there's all sorts of different translations that people use uh, on a daily basis. And in just people that I study with, I, I run into people who use the New King James, King James, NIV. Um, the New Living Translation is another, it's more of a paraphrase translation, very much on the thought for thought side. Um, but you'll run into lots of different types of translations um, as you just talk with different people. So with all of that said, Scott, then how does the, the word Easter, uh, that was the question that was leading to that question about the word Easter that is found in the King. In fact, that's the only translation that word is found in, right? Is the, the King James Version? As far as I know, I'm not sure if the New King James updates it or not. We can check that here. I'll check it here. Yeah. But let's pull up the Bible. And let's go to Acts 12. The New King James does not use Easter. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. All right. So here's, uh, let, let me share screen. All right. This is one curious place where the King James kind of blew it. Um, but I cannot, there, can you see the, it's my text. Oh, well, you're, not, you're not sharing your screen currently. Oh, okay. Let me try it again. All right, so this is Acts chapter 12. Uh, and this is just an odd thing here in the King James. Um, Acts chapter 12, reading from the King James. Because he saw pleased the Jews, he, this is Herod, let's back up to verse 1. Back at that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church. This is, I believe, early 40s AD, if I remember. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. These were the days of unleavened bread. When he apprehended him, he put him in prison and put, gave, delivered him to four quarternians of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. Prayer was made for him, and, and you know what happens. He's released. Um, these Jews... There, Easter is not a word used in the Bible, except here in the King James, and this is actually the word for Passover. So let's look at it here. We're going to go to, notice what time of year it is. It's the time of unleavened bread. The, un, the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was what they did before the day that they sacrificed what? The lamb for the Passover feast. The Passover, right. So that's what this is. Let's go to tools, and we're going to look at the interlinear. And the King James uses the Texas Receptus. We haven't talked about the difference between the Texas Receptus and... Uh, By the way, Scott, let me interrupt you. This is a program that is called blueletterbible.org. It's online, and it's free for everybody to use the way you're using it, right? Exactly right. If you've got a computer and you're on the Internet, you can use this. It's free. Or, or an iPad or an iPhone or a tablet or a smartphone, you can use this. And if sometime later people would like us to talk about the difference between the Textus Receptus, which is text, a, a large body of text written, say, in the 10, 11, 12, 1300s, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to earlier texts that we have hundreds of, 
from back in say second, third, fourth, fifth, especially third, fourth, fifth, sixth centuries and stuff. Um, the the King James is based on the latter ones, so they're very similar, but there will sometimes be some difference. Here's Texas Receptus, which King James generally uses, and here's morphological GMT, which is follows more what. Uh, more recent translations tend to use. We haven't got into that. I'm not, for sake of time, we don't have time to get into that right now. But let's notice here, he's intending to keep him there until after Easter. Let's see what the Greek word is. We're going to pronounce it. Strong's G, 3957. Pascha. Pascha. Right. And let's see what that word is. It is the word for... Um, Passover. And let's see how it's used in the New Testament. This is the exact same word. You know, after two days, the feast of the Passover and it's the feast of the Passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified. Did Jesus say, you know, that in two days is the feast of Easter? No, he said Passover. Um, where will you prepare that we shall eat the Passover? It's not where you shall we prepare that we eat the Easter. It's where shall we eat the Passover. Uh, he said, um, I will keep the Passover at the house of my disciples. And they made ready the Passover. Uh, after two days uh, was the feast of the Passover and of the unleavened bread. Uh, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, the Passover lamb. It's not when they killed the Easter bunny. <laughs> this word simply means Passover. Jesus' parents, Luke 2, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. They didn't go to Easter. It's Passover. That's what this word means. For some strange reason, the King James translators, this is the exact same word. When they got to this, they, they put in intending after Easter to bring forth. Well, let's see what other Bibles translate it. Um, King James has Easter. The new King James, Passover. Uh, Passover, 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 Passover. Uh, Pascua in uh, Spanish. La Pascua. Passover, Passover, Passover. Uh, by the way, I like to look sometimes at Young's literal translation. That's a really pretty much word for word thing. It's, he doesn't aim for readability. It's like, uh, whom also having seized, he did put in prison, having delivered him to four quarterlings of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover. By the way, that's one of the, uh, the article does in front of it. Does that, is that article there in the Greek? Uh, yes, I believe it is. It goes back in Acts 12. There is no article in the English. In well, the, in the, the King article James. in Greek shows up a lot more than we use it in English. Like it'll say that Jesus said to the Mary or the Mary said to the Jesus. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, it, but, it does, the Greek article is there in Acts 12. Okay. Yeah. But they just don't record it in the King James. Okay. Um, and so, you know what? That's a place where the King James missed it. Does it mean you can't understand the gospel from the King James? No, <laughs> it means it missed it there. And if you've got more than one translation, you'll notice. And if you wonder, oh, which one would be the right thing? Well, you can look here, you can go to the interlinear 
and you can see what word that is, and you can see what it means, Stephen. We've got a couple of questions come in. I know we've got about five minutes left, but just we can get to these real quick. Um, one of them, uh, Joe asks, how about the ones translated by one man? Ah, uh, good question. Yes. Like good speed or, or why mouth or something like that. In fact, I think I picked up. Was this? Well, this is New English Bible. I'll pick up some of that. I would prefer something that was done by a translation team because, uh, well, like it says in Proverbs, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. You know, if the three of us were working on translation, none of us qualified to do that. But if we were, and I go, okay, I'm working on X12 here. Okay, then he's going to let him go after, he's going to kill him after Easter. <laughs> and Drew, <laughs> Easter, yeah, yeah, it's the time of year it's Easter. Say, so, Scott, the context there is Jewish people and the king of the Jews, and, what, and it's the unleavened bread. That's where it's Pasch, it, it used to be Passover. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and it's, to having it done by a group instead of one man. You, also, go ahead. Go ahead. I've got another question that's come in, but if you got something more on that, go ahead. Uh, just one other question. These are two questions that kind of go together. Um, Junior asks, what about the New World translation? And Hedeman asks, what about what the Jehovah's Witnesses use and say that Matthew 10, 28 isn't in the original text? So, um, the the Jehovah's if, if you have one denomination that comes up with their own Bible, you can expect it to be self-serving. Mm. And it is. Uh, for example, the Jehovah's Witness Bible, um, they don't believe that Jesus is, divine, is, is in nature God. And so they have a problem with when in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. That's a big statement. Remember, I am. It's back in Exodus, God talking to Moses. Who shall I say your name is? He tell them, tell them, I am. When Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. That's a powerful statement. Their Bible say, before Abraham was born, I was. Oh, and this one says, before Abraham came into being, I have been. And, um, is that another Jehovah's Witness Bible there? Yep, this is the New World Translation. Oh, okay. Um, Which, by the way, the New World Translation is the Jehovah's Witnesses okay. translation. I might be thinking of their diaglot, which is their interlinear. Um, okay. In it, there is a note that the Greek is actually I am. So they know that the Greek is actually I am, but they don't want it to say that. And okay. so they change it. And it admits in the diaglot that the actual Greek is actually I am. That's interesting. In this particular New World Translation, they do not have a footnote telling you. They have some cross-references, but they don't tell you that it literally says I am. It's in the diaglot, which is there in the Jehovah's Witness interlinear. That's where you can find that. Um, and so watch out for those type of things. And what was the other one they asked about? Uh, Matthew 10, 28, so the Jehovah's Witnesses also do not believe in hell, in a, a place of eternal punishment. And so uh, Matthew 10, 28, the New World Translation reads, um, and do not become fearful of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Now this says, uh, they say Matthew 10, 28 isn't in the original text. It, it looks like they have it here. Now, instead of translating it as hell, 
they transliterate the Greek word. Yeah. Um, so this is the Greek word Gehenna. And this is really what happened with baptism. Um, instead of translating the word baptize and translating it as immerse or dip, um, they transliterated it and made up the word, the English word baptize. So now instead of translating it as hell, which I think is a proper translation of this, they transliterate the Greek word, which is Gehenna. Yes. And they'll have their own ideas about what Gehenna means. But to transliterate the word allows you to kind of sometimes to redefine it and kind of do what you want to with it. Or so that's water. Right. Water. Make it less make it less clear. So there's not a question here about the manuscripts because in the earlier manuscripts in the papyri and the codexes from early on, it says in Gehenna. And in the Texas Receptus, it says in Gehenna but that's in Greek. And when it's been translated, the King James has hell there uh, and the, the Jehovah's Witnesses have chosen to leave it in Greek. But the text is there either way. And was there one more question that I missed there? Oh, I think that's it. Thank you all very much for your comments today. And um, we hope this discussion has been helpful, not just in considering the King James Version, but in other translations of the Bible. Uh, we can trust our English translations. Uh, we're, we're blessed to have uh, a number of good ones. And uh, we appreciate the, the, dialogue, the dialogue and discussion uh, today on this topic. Uh, we'll pick up next Tuesday at 2 o'clock Eastern, Lord willing. Thank you all for joining us today.